we weren't animals. Animals are true to their nature. And we had betrayed ours. I sprang into the community of human beings and I felt its echo, echo, echo. This is the Eco-Psychology Project, a podcast dedicated to exploring topics surrounding the human-nature relationship. I'm your host, John Eric Jardine. In this episode, I want to bring forth an issue that is all too familiar, yet hard to grasp. It is an issue of perspective, one that through whatever historical means and cultural drivers has perhaps impacted the course of human society and thus human wellness but also, just as importantly, the life of those we share this planet with. The issue at hand is the human-animal relationship and what has become a story of separation and the isolation of the human species. Franz Kafka, a 19th century novelist from Prague, once wrote a story narrated by a fictional ape who behaves like a human and gives a report to a scientific body about how this transformation has affected him. It is a bizarre account that left me gazing upon my own fellow humans strangely, as this ape illustrated how he no longer felt like an ape, yet wasn't entirely human either. In some ways, Kafka perfectly captured the times we live in, where the human-animal relationship feels entangled, confusing, and even isolated, as our development towards a more urbanized lifestyle comes with a greater and greater orientation of humans in here and nature out there. As culture has worked so hard to define the greatest human values as distinct from animals, we have found ourselves now struggling to not only relate to a world in which humans now dominate with catastrophic ecological consequences, but also cannot seem to even connect, as the late poet Mary Oliver writes, to the soft animal of our body. In this episode, I wanted to explore the human-animal relationship, why it is an important relationship to cultivate, what may have influenced the severance of this relationship, and what is now being done about it. To answer these questions, I have reached out to those who have spent time thinking about them and are actively working on developing the human-animal connection in their professions. I also discovered the growing scientific literature dedicated to exactly this, a multi-species ethnography that attempts to integrate animals into the inquiry process of human life, and Animal Turn, which is the increasing scholarly interest in the status of animals beyond that of the utilitarian or agricultural scientific study of animals, and the larger-than-human degraded ecological times we are living in. This is a two-part episode. Part one is a look into the human development of animality. We will explore what it means to be an animal, what the current human-animal relationship is, and how it came to be. Part two is a quick dive into wildlife in our community to understand how the human-animal relationship is being addressed today and what role this relationship has in contributing to the conservation of wildlife. So to begin, I want to take us to a conversation I had with Matt Fogarty, who is a mental health counselor in Bellingham, Washington. 
Matt and I worked together for a short time while I was finishing up my college education and was one of my first contacts in the outdoor nature connection world. In our conversation, we talk about the healing aspect of nature connection and why connecting to the animal within us is vitally important for not only making contact with our own wellness, but also that of the shared ecological environment around us and in our community. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Matt Fogarty. So, um, well, I want I want to start just by um, asking a little bit about yourself and um, you know what is your professional background and some of your own personal areas of interest. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, professional background, I think the most pertinent would be I um, have a master's degree in eco psychology and another master's in clinical mental health counseling, and so my as far as you know pertaining to this um i've done a lot of work with um various programs (laughs) of outdoor deep nature connection um one of the ways that we met was in explorers club um which is a a, developed a program with wild whatcom and a bunch of us got together and and created this um program and this nonprofit, and it's it's um and since then, I've done a lot of rites, rites of passage work. So wellness rites of passage is a, another avenue that I work with. And most recently, um, really, my focus is counseling. And uh, in the counseling, I have an um, eco-psychological or, or um, nature connection focus, as well as a somatics focus. So somatic psychology and tapping into the deep, the soft animal of the body or the deeper nervous system is is a a huge part of what i am passionate about Mm. you mentioned doing work with the soft animal of the body and this is really why um i've i reached out to you is is to is to talk about this the animality of of being human and um i'm exploring this human animal relationship and even just saying human animal relationship sort of has this you know connotes this um there's humans and then there's animals right (laughs) and it's this it's it's this continuous sort of sticky problem uh that you know we run into um as as modern people and and um, and I think especially in a, in a Western thought, in a Western context, mm-hmm. um, of how we relate to other than human life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from your standpoint, um, do you think that it, it, it matters in order to really uh, build a kind of community sense or even an individual sense of, of um, other than human life, um, that we have some sort of reframing of um, how we how we perceive animals and and how we perceive the animal in us yeah that's a that's a powerful question thank you for that first word is yes (laughs) and um exposition would be um well let's see um for me just as one 
member of the larger community asking these questions. And I'm so glad there's so many of us. Um, it's a community question. It's a it's a it's an emergent question, and um, we're living into it collectively uh, right now. Um, for me, I one of the reasons I've honed in more into psychology and counseling and, and this this kind of work um, is because if if I can contact it for myself and contact that experience for myself and understand it for myself and then I, and, and working with others we're doing the same thing um, then uh, what I'm gonna end up doing is uh, you know you're gonna start where's that there's a separation right now there's a, there's a separation, there's a human and nature or ecology and psychology or human and animal, right? And it's it, it doesn't really exist, but it does. And what I know from counseling is that if, um, you know, even if someone's coming in with anxiety and I say, well, you know, you're reacting to something that's actually not here. It's not here and you're reacting to it and your whole body's reacting. I can say that, but that's not, going to just solve their anxiety we have to walk towards it so i i i my understanding is that um we need to uh i benefit from and we all benefit from walking closer to contacting the animal of our body understanding the deeper parts of the nervous system understanding this kind of baseline that that is mostly running the show um which is uh you know, other than, you know, 10 to 15,000 years of modern, gotten like 98% of us <laughs> is, is really made with, in, with uh, the cadence and the connection of nature and that animal of the body. And so um, one of the ways that I kind of court understanding that better is understanding how my deep nervous system and how the animal of my body is actually um, out of sync with the modern world and how that's causing me suffering. That to me is the golden door. Because when I walk back into here now, understanding how the soft and the body can go, okay, things are good now. Oh, I actually like this connection. As, as I get less suffering and I feel better and I have more agency, then that to me is a way to um, start to heal that uh, that sense of disconnection. I don't know if that all made sense to you. You can ask me further questions if you like. Yeah, yeah, I really like that that the way you describe that as making contact yeah. um, and something that uh, doesn't exist yet it does exist. Um, right there's. You know this separation doesn't really exist but yet it's it exists in in, in the way that we are experiencing um ourselves um in this world yeah and and so there's a you know that that need to you know walk towards say you know the anxiety um in order to make contact with it um and i you know, I, I guess this this made me think about um, children a lot, um, and I think for one reason, 
um, well, well, I've just been thinking a lot about children and, and development, and and I know you've worked uh, with with youth. You yeah. mentioned Wild Whatcom and the Explorers, developing the Explorers um, Boys Club. Um, and you know, for me in my personal experience growing up, I remember a lot about you know being a young boy and being just very embodied in my world and feeling this, this contact with the world. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I've been looking into a lot as I've been exploring this topic uh, is how um, there's some of the understandings that we've come up with is that, you know, well, how do children relate to animals? And um, especially, it, it, it seems like we give more, we, we, we have a greater distinction between human adults and animals than human children than animals, um, in the sense that it's, it's more acceptable uh, for children to um, either, you know, have some kind of um, relation to animals in the sense of being like animals. Um, and that it's it's a good thing and and it's encouraged. Um, but then there's this sort of growing out of um, idea, this this uh, maturing into the distinct values and qualities of what it means to be human um, that are distinct values from that sort of child animalistic um, stage. And I'm wondering about that, you know, I don't know what what you think about the if there's some sort of if there's something that 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 we have that causes us to sort of have that separation or that causes us to not be able to make contact with something I you know I, because of a, a, a sort of distinguishing ourselves from some of those values that we attribute to childhood and animality does it does that make sense yeah the first thought I had when I was listening to you was uh, the fact that it's there in childhood and then it slowly gets weaned out is indicative of conditioning. So the nature of the human animal is to be animal and connected. And it takes time and consistency to condition that out mm -hmm. and desync the human organism from their original programming mm -hmm. their set original relationships you know what i'm saying there like it's it's it takes time and consistency that's culture you could call it um but i i for me and this i'm just one person again in the in the, the larger community i think it's trauma mm. <laughs> And I, when I say trauma, it's a huge word. It's just, there's so much there. You know, it's, I've been studying it, as I think so many have, and it's a big word right now. And I think there's, it's there for a reason. There's so much to it. But basically, um, there is a consistent force embedded within a lot of dominant culture that slowly dissociates or disconnects us from that animal nature and for me 
I could join many people and sometimes it's really good and very important to look in the dark and understand where that came from and how that works. And we could get into uh, domination code and empire and capitalism and place class and race and trauma and all that other stuff and the whole history of the European. Um, uh, and that's that's a vital conversation. But for me, the the simple thing that I'm looking at is, well, if it's there in childhood, that means we have an opportunity to rekindle it. Mm, yeah. It means it is a part of our nature. And I know it is because everyone I walk with, literally, all I have to do again and again and again, it's consistent as part of the human animal. All we have to do is you stop and you orient. Mm. Like literally, it's like, okay, you do a little prompting because system's still like out of sync. I'm in my head or I'm, or I'm here or I've, I've got a time limit or like I'm a very trained animal or like, you know, and then, but all you have to do is like stop and orient, connect with the outside through the senses. Yeah. Usually through the eyes, let them wander. And literally what you'll do is it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's, it's how the human animal works, how every mammal works not just mammals, but particularly for mammals in this one, the system settles. Yeah. And you'll hear that what the personal often says something like, I feel calmer, or I feel a, they'll take a breath, I feel a little more connected. And suddenly the, their attention will go outside to something. It's usually something that they like in the environment. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, if there's an animal or a bird, or a beautiful plant, that's what they're gonna, it's gonna go to. Nobody has to make that up, it's there. Yeah. So we're just cultivating what's there. Yeah, I was just, um, you know, while you were, while you were talking, um, you know, it, it, well, for one, it's, it, I love that, that stopping and orienting because I, I, I noticed myself doing it just now. Um, and, you know, I noticed I was, I was listening to the, I think it's a ro American Robin in the background singing. Oh yeah. Uh, over here. Yeah. Over on your side. And, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They're all over the place right now. <laughs> yeah. And, and I found myself like, I, saw, I found myself doing it and I was, and then I, and then I got a little bit meta about it and I was like, Oh, I wonder why I'm, I'm doing that. Or like, why am I paying attention to the sound and, you know, behind, behind Matt or around Matt in, um, you know, while you're sitting out on your, on your porch. And I think I realized it was, you know, while also simultaneously listening to you talk, I was like, oh, well, I'm, I'm right now engaging with, with someone who I haven't talked to in a while. And there's, there's like nervous energy in that. And, you know, who is, you know, who is Matt now? And, 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 <laughs> And how does Matt remember me? And, 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 and so all this like higher order thinking was just buzzing around in my head. And, and then all of a sudden I, I found myself being like, well, just, you know, because when you, when you said all you have to do is stop and orient, you know, I, this is going to be audio. So for, for, for the listeners, um, you, you stopped and you looked around um, in, in your environment. And, and, and so it's, you know, this physical orientation, this, this spatial Yes, um, of our bodies orienting to where yes. where it is now, right? Um, yes. 
And, and so I think that's, yes, you know, that's, that's us being in our bodies. And, and I think, you know, the important message there is that, is, is that with that, to recognize that our, that what our body, our body is, is this animal, right? Um, and it is no, that experience is no more sophisticated, no, no, um, no grander than any other animal. It's, it is, it is, it is how we, it is how we relate, um, to the being of, of another, um, is through that experience and, and how powerful yet simple of an experience it is to, in some sense, it's to relate to our own self, right? It's to be back in touch with our own, our own self. And so that that you know, I think that's 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 really beautiful message, and and um, you know, a, a valuable one for you know this continuous uh, conversation, this community, this conversation of us, and you know, existing in a community of how can we, um, you know, be more, um, you know, have a sense of wanting to be uh, a part of of our our community, our, our ecological community, our, um, you know, animal community is, is, well, you can start with, you know, connecting with that animal inside yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it'll feel better. That's that for me, that's really important because, uh, we need the energy and we need the surplus energy, which comes through connection and literally in the animal, the body and the nervous system, it comes from rest, digest, ease, connect. We need that mm. in order to have the ability to address the things that are actually problems. Mm -hmm. But if we just keep looking at the problems, we're going to get increasingly more depleted. So that what you're talking about is so essential. We need that connection first. Mm -hmm. And when you do, the system goes, and then connection, we are built for it, positive connection. So settling connecting to the animal of our body, connecting to the nature around us is actually, for, for me, I see as the most important work for positive uh, human and social transformation, which is also ecological transformation. Yeah. It's the path of uh, connection is the path of peace. I can't remember if I think I started. I, I noticed you you published a book uh, back in two thousand eighteen. Yeah. I mean, congratulations, <laughs> by the way. Um, and I I love the I love the title, a place based um, guide to wonder. Um, mm -hmm. And I you know I really like this is something I really have been just. I don't know. I I don't know what the right word is um i guess res i've been resonating with or, or thinking deeply about and and also actively practicing um you know i 
I'm in a I'm in a program in in which we're trying to um, you know use sort of the the fundamentals of the scientific method to uh, understand what a community needs um, and mm. is asking for um, and 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 then you know sort of problem solve to um, work with the community to bring about solutions and I've been so sort of enraptured by the the first sort of stage of the scientific method, which is just observe, um, it's just observing, right? And and I like really, I think observing is is the practice of connecting, is that practice of listening and using the senses. Um, and mm-hmm. and how how do we observe? Well, we observe with wonder, with curiosity, right? And so there's even something that that it comes prior to observation, which is that 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 wonder. Um, and and to not to not feel burdened by problems, um, and 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 the sort of the, the 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 buzz of of always having you know looking for a solution, but rather you know to to settle into the the wonder of what is around us and happening and and then, to me, I found that that the, the curiosity creates the creativity that allows you know, for sort of the connections the of the unknown to sort of emerge which is where solutions come from right this this place we don't know the solutions yet they're they are somewhere you know they they just have to you know and (laughs) and so um so anyways that i i really do um uh connect with that and and think that's a really important message um and and now i am becoming sensitive to your time because we're, we're we're already coming up on 30 it happened so fast right yeah it does happen so fast um, I, I can go a few minutes sober, just so you know. I, I gave myself a little bit of a buffer. So okay, good, awesome. It doesn't have to be like exactly at five fifty. <laughs> well, I wanted to I wanted to um, pivot a little bit then and and quickly ask um, about some of your experience um, when you when you were doing um, uh, nature guiding uh, through like Wild Wacom, um, mm-hmm. and I'm just curious about some of the what you know what you can remember or or what you want to highlight about um how you guided um your your mentees um through uh some of the wildlife that they might encounter or 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 some of the like how how would you all um interact with with that relationship or or connect with it or or encounter it You know, I don't want to parrot or anything, but I want to first thing I wanted to say was wonder, you know. Uh-huh. Um, well, you know, because it's because I don't think, um, oh boy, that's an interesting question. I, I, I need to think back there to, to put it in context, but uh, answering who I am now and reflecting on it. There was this, there, there's always this piece for me where it's like, I do want to over time give some knowledge, you know, because it's because not, and, and that's, that's easy to do because you watch any, like you watch in a human development, there, there comes a time when suddenly kids get super interested in animals and particularly predators, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That is so primal. Mm-hmm. Where would the human animal be if we didn't have that in our 
yeah. coded. Yeah, we to be like we know all your predators. Know. Yeah, gotta <laughs> know them because <laughs> they can eat you. Yeah, you know? <laughs> you know, and so and so it's like you're just tapping into that, and then there's like all this, and then if you just pull the coattail of that, there's all these cool, neat, beautiful things that, and each each human being because of the wonder of diversity has a. Uh, something different that they're they're particularly excited about birds or 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 this animal or this or something or like bugs or you know and so mm -hmm. it, it in a lot of time ways for me i this is similar to what john young um and uh wilderness were in a school i think they they talk about this a lot is you just tap into those things that are already lit up yeah um and yeah. and and make sure that you can identify with each one and just it's just like you know it from the wilderness if you got a fire going um, you just you keep feeding the fire the right things and you, you come and tend to it and the fire's got itself it's going to keep going so so i think um that that connection is the same way um and the wonder piece is uh is natural and it's also intentionally um cultivated because we are synced up mm. when we're in a group when I when I'm the guide in in that sense, because humans we work this way, um, how I respond to something does affect the group. I'm very aware of that. You, I mean, it's just how we work. So for me to have wonder and reverence and curiosity mm -hmm. and to be excited about those things is essential. Mm -hmm. It's not just didactic it's 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 attunement um yeah so that that's the first thing that comes to mind when you when you ask that question yeah i remember that that recall the memory of a time we were driving out to i believe it was the old growth cedar uh, forest mm -hmm. i think it was this i think it was old growth cedar um and you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a longer drive and it takes time. And we're on this, you know, little bus and, and, um, you know, the, the kids are antsy and it's like, what do you, you know, how, what do you, how can you utilize this time? How can you, you know, you know, take, take that time and, um, uh, fill it with something. And, and I, I just thought it was brilliant. I remembered how you, you had with you a collection of bones, um, and, you know, I probably a lot of predator bones in there too, just to, to, you know, create that excitement with, with the kiddos. Um, but, but, you know, various, you know, and I think it was like a, mostly um, the skulls. And I think it, you know, that you had tasked the boys with trying to figure out, you know, who did these bones belong to? Um, and, you know, and so there's that, like, there's that sense of wonder. There's, you know, something that, um it's like a mystery right it's it's there's mm. and here's a clue and yeah. you know what can you what can you observe about this this shape and this form to you know and extrapolate and um yeah and i just i just thought that was a a really a really great thing and and, and of course you know you 
did bring in your excitement because I think you had stories behind like, you know, you found these and you just like, what, you know, what are they? And, you know, where did they, you know, I, I just got, you know, we got to, we got to figure this out. And why does this one have such long teeth, you know, whatever it was, but, you know, you, you pitched it in this way where, you know, they were, they were on it. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I do remember that um, distinctively. Um, also remember there being a little fight that broke out, I think on that, on that ride up that day. <laughs> so. Probably. <laughs> Humans. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. We, yeah. We got to smile and invite it all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, um, you know, I think I, I'm feeling that's i've gotten a really good sense uh matt thank you of of mm. um, of you know what what you're doing especially with with your counseling and 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 i think that's a really um important piece of this um you know that and it's an important message uh and and part of a you know a great addition to the chorus of voices and that are you know um uh, answering these questions um and, and really answering them through through our our own uh, insight and experience, and um, mm. so I, I really appreciate and value you uh, sharing uh, your voice and 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 some of your thoughts on the matter. Well, likewise, I, I'm really glad you reached out. I'm really glad for what you're doing, um, and uh, really curious to see what evolves from it. Um, may we all. Uh, uh, enjoy greater connection and uh, <laughs> and 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 um, really cultivate a a, a a good world for uh, our future generations. Yeah, as well as ourselves. Yeah, yeah, and and, and find that time to, to to slow down so that we can we can orient and we can. Yeah, see. yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. I think that's where it starts. Yeah. Um, well, thanks. All right, my friend. It's so good seeing you. You be well and reach out, please. Will do. Yes, I'll, I'll follow up with you. Okay. Okay. Take care, Matt. Bye. 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 It might seem like common sense that having a positive relationship with animals is important, but that wasn't always the case. The view of other than human life has had a pretty rough history. And although we have come a long way since theological writers of the Middle Ages clearly distinguished humans as above animals on a spiritual hierarchy, currents of these memes do still run deep in our culture, both in mainstream media imagery as well as hidden in our everyday language. Animals are symbolically and physically present everywhere in our lives, especially in children's. And the way we as a society are collectively choosing to expose our children to animals will very much determine, perhaps for the rest of their lives, how they will come to develop their own sense of self and how their self exists in relationship to all other life. The cultural evolution of society and animals is a fascinating and intricate tale, one that is too long to tell here, but does beckon some attention in order to understand the human development of animality and what the current relationship between humans and animals is based on. Firstly, 
It should be noted that the relationship between animals and humans is found on a gradient between cultures and even between individuals. We all relate differently based on our own experience and to a large extent what cultures we were brought up in. There is no single way in which humans today relate to animals, but rather such relationships exist in many ways. Secondly, although we are mainly focused on the relationship we hold with wild animals, it is important to mention that what we understand a wild animal to be is not definitive in the least, but rather definitions can be broad and include many different contexts. Animals do not exist solely as either wild or non-wild, but rather on a gradient of human influence. For example, we might not always think of urban settings as places where wild animals exist. Yet all cities are packed full of wildlife that have found ways to adapt to these unique and emerging metropolitan ecoregions. But the question remains, as members of the self-proclaimed dominant species of these urban cities, how are we relating to the other than human life that call these places home too? To help answer this question, I visited the Fiddleheads Forest School in Seattle, a preschool that is held completely outdoors in the Washington Arboretum City Park. I was joined by Maddie Cole, who, well, will introduce herself. So I'm Maddie Cole, I use she, her pronouns, and I'm the head of Fiddleheads Forest School. Do we see anything else? Fiddleheads Forest School is an entirely outdoor-based nature preschool um, in the Washington Park Arboretum in Seattle. And we have three different completely outdoor classrooms, one called Trillium, one called Magnolia, and one called Spruce. Um, and we actually just opened the Spruce one this year, so we've been expanding our program. Is it, and it's a year-round uh, so we school, have, yeah? Yeah, we have a nine-month preschool and then a summer school, but that pulls a lot of the same families. Um, we can step in here briefly because the kids aren't here. Maddie leads me into the Spruce camp just off the road that cuts through the middle of the park. The children are nearby, involved in an activity. Since their school is completely outdoors, all the children are dressed for the occasion with boots and rain gear on this spring morning. It's not raining out, but that doesn't mean it won't later, and anyone familiar with the Puget Sound area will tell you how damp everything stays this time of year. When we enter, we are immediately cast into the dark shade of giant western red cedars. The earth is soft and moist and packed, making it apparent that this is a place where many little feet have been. At first glance, it just seems like a small open area in the woods, but as my eyes begin to adjust, there are signs of children activity everywhere. So we have sort of similar features, although of course each classroom is laid out a little bit differently just according to the terrain. So each classroom has a sort of set of circle logs um, where we have snack and story time and a sort of morning meeting to talk about our day. Each classroom has a lot of loose parts as well. Um, so uh, for instance, this Magnolia classroom, you can see there's a sort of climbing structure that we've built, as well as a bunch of sort of large sticks that the children can use and manipulate and build with. Behind you, speaking of animals and empathy, we have a bug house that they've created. Oh, the sign over cool. there says, Bug Hotel, please do not step on, or something similar. <laughs> um, so we have pieces of nature as well as pieces of, um, you know, uh, man-made materials that they've built and constructed this bug hotel with. And then we have 
a mud kitchen in each classroom. Um, so this is something that we use the irrigation hose for and we fill up buckets and they have access to pots and pans and lots of sort of small manipulative things so that they can fill up the mud and the water. Um, sometimes we add food coloring or sand or um, this particular class has really liked um, gr grinding up chalk with like um, um, mortar and pestle and stuff so we've been sort of adding those kind of things as well and then each classroom has uh, these stumps that are flattened and brought to us by our horticulture crew um, so we can set up science activities art activities all that kind of stuff as well yeah and, and those stumps are just full of arts and crafts materials right now yes indeed <laughs> um, and then of course the the sort of key component is that we are not only here to have classroom space, but also here as stewards. So mm. um, you can look around and see there are garden borders that the horticulture crew has asked us to sort of block off um, access to certain young trees or places where the roots of those trees are more exposed um, so that our impact on the nature is limited. Um, so we certainly have impact on this space. You know, there's a sort of give and take with us, of, with us of horticulture crew of what can and can't be done here. But as you can see by the crow that just flew down, uh, we are not only a classroom but we are home to the animals we are guests here in their space um, so that's a big thing that we emphasize with the children yeah, um, so yeah. we do things like um, you know part of our um, self-regulation is to make sure that they're you know able to zip up their own backpacks and things like that but part of the point of zipping up your backpack is that the squirrels are gonna come and investigate your lunch mm -hmm. if you don't um, so it is just that very straightforward acknowledgement that we are sharing this space with the plants and animals do they uh, tack onto that pretty easily? For the most part, yeah. Um, and a lot of them will get very excited. Um, even if it's a squirrel that visits every single day, it's still an exciting new friend to them yeah. each time. Um, and then we do have, uh, in addition to the kind of crows and squirrels, um, of course, everywhere has a lot of bugs and we work with them on, you know, pill bugs and worms are super great. Here's how we handle them gently. Here's how we put them back at the end of the mm. day. Um, and then there are certain, um, you know, millipedes and stuff that we really shouldn't be touching. So we have kind of procedures of like, well, the grown up can touch that, but the grown up's going to wear a glove and that kind of thing as well. Um, and then we do have uh, larger animals as well. Uh, we saw a coyote yesterday, which is unusual, but we see them a few times a year. Um, and then there are eagles and Cooper's hawks and owls and things mm -hmm. like that that come through periodically and seasonally. Um, so it's really great for them to know them and also to really be able to identify them beyond just, oh, it's a bird, but yeah. what is it? What is it doing? What is it eating? Where does it live? Um, you know, what can we really track with it? So you can use those, in, those encounters as sort of an opportunity to then dive into that specific animal and, mm -hmm. and how, you know, how they, what they're doing here and how they live here. Exactly. And do you all know if there, is there a, a coyote's, I know there's a coyote's den in Seward Park. Do you know if there's one here in Washington? I don't know if there's a den specifically. Uh, we've, I've worked here about a year, and I've, I think this was our third time of just kind of seeing one lone coyote wander through. Um, so I don't know much about its path, but I know that it's like, yeah, we see them a few times a year. Yeah, so. Yeah. okay. <laughs> um, so I, we are running out of time, so I, I did want to take just a moment. We, I mean, we've already sort of pivoted into talking about the, the, the kids and how they relate to the animals in terms of encountering them. Is what do you all do specifically with with the preschoolers uh, in yeah cultivating a, a relationship uh, and and how they might you know start to embody their own animality? 
That's a great question. So we work a lot with just sort of listening to your body and how does your body feel, um, which translates well to how does the animal's body feel. Um, so we'll do pretend games or storybooks where, um, you know, instead of just kind of reading the story, um, for instance, if I'm sort of telling a story, um, I often say, you know, I need your help. Um, how is this animal feeling? Um, and so really working on that as- aspect of it. Um, and then a lot of things are comparing our own body to the animals. So, you know, uh, I noticed this animal has feathers. Do you have feathers? No. What do you have? And so really, you know, kind of getting them to touch their, their face and their, their arms and just really sort of think about what it would be like to have, you know, a different body and a different feeling. Um, and then to sort of, of course, kids this age are really into superheroes. Um, so we often will sort of make the animal into a superhero. Like, if you could fly, if mm-hmm. you could swim underwater, you know. Um, and just kind of like, what would you do if you had the powers that an animal has? Yeah. Um, so just really getting them to think more about that sort of animal experience is really great. I like that. There's sort of like an empowering element, uh, which which I think is important for this age too, right? As they're growing into their own bodies and, and, and you know, really exploring how they move. Right, seeing how the abilities that come with that and, and the independence, right? Yeah. It all yep. starts with movement. Um, and animals are so great at movement. <laughs> like, so that, that's great. And, and um, I guess my last question, you know, you, you work here with, with Fiddlehead's program and, and I'm curious how you sort of think about sort of the long term, um, how this experience for these kids at such a young age um, how, the, how, how you think that it's going to impact them as they grow older and into more mature development. Absolutely. So it's interesting, of course, because we are a school, so there's a certain level of kindergarten readiness, but a lot of our kindergarten readiness isn't just letters and numbers. It's more along the lines of can you, um, you know, feel comfortable in a group setting? Um, and so, of course, a lot of environmentalism is working mm-hmm. something on a, with a group Um, And, you know, saying, like, my own impact does this, and the more people do it, you know, the more we work together, the more we can accomplish. Um, So even if we're not laying that out quite directly for them, I think that's a big skill to have and something that we really hope they take away from this program. Um, And then certainly just feeling comfortable outside. Um, We have a lot of children who... Uh, you know, we kind of get an intake form and we get families who are like, they don't really like the cold or the wet or they're nervous about bugs and things like that. Um, and it's not to say that we don't sometimes get kids who just don't like being wet and sometimes that's just something they don't like. Um, but for the most part, you know, by the time they've really been here for a while, they have a hiking stamina. They're much more comfortable being outside. They don't mind some of the little things. Um, that children who just aren't used to the outside might either fear or not like the the sensation of and stuff like that um so yeah just building that comfort outside so that hopefully they do feel comfortable exploring the natural places of the world and loving them even more (laughs) i think that's so important right equating home with with something that's outside of Mm -hmm. like a human domain Mm -hmm. but in the outdoors and the elements yeah i love that (laughs) well thank you so much maddie uh, for your time and uh, it's a pleasure to be able to talk with you and yeah. have a little sneak peek into you know their lives here, um, you know what, what they get to be doing every day, and I imagine it's very fulfilling work. It is. It is. <laughs> The topic of human-animal relations is vast and complex. 
one that I hope to dive even deeper into within the coming year as I continue to explore how our relationship to animals impacts the way we coexist with wildlife in our cities. I really want to hone in on the societal shifts that are occurring across many communities, like Matt Fogarty's work of helping his clients return to the soft animal of their bodies, or Maddie Cole, who along with her staff are facilitating how their preschoolers consider sharing their outdoor classroom with the fellow squirrels, crows, even the occasional coyote, and help steward the land from such a young age. There is exciting work being done out there, and this is just a glimpse into the world of human-animal interaction. I hope you may be feeling a little more inspired to connect with animals, either the one within you or with those around you, and help share just how important, meaningful, and truly wonderful it is to do so. Special thanks to Matt Fogarty and Maddie Cole for taking the time to meet with me and chat about their work. And thanks to researchers such as Jean Myers, Maria Sari, Gail Melson, and Peter Kahn for the contributions they have made to their respective fields involving this topic. You can find more information about all of these folks in the episode description. Take care and see you on the next episode of the Eco Psychology Project.